Brad, who was singing up here, Vacation Bible School. We usually have uh, a, quite a, a bit of kids. I'm sure we're going to have quite a bit more this year. Uh, we're going to do a holy hoedown. <laughs> uh, we're, we got a square dancing caller coming July 17th. And uh, if you're single, it's a good opportunity to invite another single lady. If you're married, come. We're going to dance. The last time we've done this, it was great. Uh, and then we're going to do a little family business this morning. Uh, where is Anka? Anka, could you, could you come on up here, please? Where are you? Anka Haas. And you're tall. You can just, everyone will still see you. Just right, yeah. Anka has, she got. <laughs> I feel like a man. Okay. Um, Anka got saved at Sierra Bible Church. She's been part of Sierra Bible Church for 22 years. She has faithfully served. Uh, I can't share with you all her story, but God's grace has been on her. I had her daughter in youth group, and uh, she married a, a boy from our youth group who's now a man, and they've got how many kids? Four and one on the way. Five. Four and one on the way, so she's a grandma, and uh, this is her last Sunday with us. She's moving with her family, and I just wanted to bring her up, honor her. We had food for her last week, and um, we were so busy with baptisms, we didn't get a chance to do it. So uh, I want to pray for her as God leads her on the next step of life. And we love you. We're going to miss you dearly. And, uh, yeah, you're awesome. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Anka. Thank you for her love, her heart. Thank you for the way that she has served faithfully. Lord, I've always appreciated the way that she has dove into Scripture, dove into theology, dove into doctrine, but more than anything, has dove into your loving arms. I pray, Lord, the next step of her faith as she leaves, that you would use her, that you would lead her and guide her, and that you would do an amazing work in her and through her, her kids, and now her grandkids, Lord. And we trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you. Danka. One more piece of business, and then we'll get in the word. Um, so today's Father's Day. We're going to be in First John. So you can turn to 1 John chapter 4 while I mention a few things. Uh, the title of the message is A Father's Love. So it's a Father's Day message uh, that we're going to do out of this book. Next week, uh, the plan is to start the book of Colossians. Uh, we have some of those ESV journals. Uh, Amy will make sure they get back there for me for sale. They're in the bookstore. Uh, we also have a few DVDs of The Chosen. Some of you have asked for those. Uh, those are for sale too. And then, um, as I mentioned, Amy, Amy and... Uh, Joe Kraft, would you guys come on up with your family? And Mackenzie, you as well. I, I want you guys up here because you're about as tall as I am. I want everyone to see you. So it's a good day to do this on Father's Day. One of the things that um, by God's grace, well, first of all, this is just really cool for me. I know, I've known Joe Kraft all the way back to my San Diego days. And then I got to know Amy a little bit later when we started taking kids down to San Diego for youth group. They were able to move here, and um, th they're an important part of our church. Amy and Joe do a lot of things behind the scenes. And uh, one of the things that our church has always really, um, really loved to be a part of is adoption. And Joe and Amy, uh, for whatever reason, just whatever God's done in their life and whatever God does, we trust him. They haven't been able to have kids naturally. They've always desired and wanted kids. And so they've been part of fostering and, uh, and, and now moving into adoption. And I got to be last year, we've been meaning to do this for a while, but I got to be a part of watching Mackenzie become Mackenzie Craft. Kenzie, sorry. And, uh, <coughs> and man, the way that Joe loves her and Amy loves her has just been so great to be a part of. And so we're going to do a dedication. And I know Kinsey's a lot older than most dedications, but this is the way God has. And, and Joe and Amy want to stand before you as a church family and dedicate themselves to raising Kinsey according to the gospel and the word of God. And so, Joe and Amy, would you covenant with your family to raise Kinsey according to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God? And you're part of the family. They want your help. And they need your help. You can't raise kids alone. It, it, it takes a village to raise a saint. And so, church family, would you covenant with Joe and Amy to raise Kinsey according to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God? Amen. Okay, now we're going to, can you? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> 
Norm <laughs> Normally, I get to hold them, but Mackenzie's a little too big for me. So can we pray for you? I know, pray for you guys. I, I could pick her up, but it's just awkward and weird. I did, I, I did it for a laugh. It didn't go as well as I thought. Some people were like, why are you picking her up? Okay. Hey, how are you? This is little George here. And what's? George and Uriel. And you call him Henry. Just do whatever you want, I guess, all right? Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for Kinsey. Thank you for Joe and Amy. I trust that, Lord, you're going to lead them, you're going to guide them to raise Kinsey to be the woman of God, the woman of Christ that you desire her to be. Lord, I thank you for families like Joe and Amy that have taken steps to show the love of Christ. Lord, that you've adopted us we were not part of your family, and then you brought us into the family, and we become family. And I pray Kenzie would know that this is her mom, this is her dad, but you more than anything are her spiritual father. And that you would guide her, lead her, and help her to always be madly in love with who you are. And I pray that you would equip Joe and Amy to give her all the tools necessary to live for your glory. And we trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, kiddo. Love you. Do you need help? You need the exercise? First John chapter four. Okay. Bye kiddos. Kiddos came out just for adoption. I mean for uh for the um dedication, so See you guys. <clears throat> now, I know Father's Day for some of us, maybe not even, maybe many of us, is a unique thing. In fact, well, you know what's really interesting as a church is that um, Mother's Day, over the years, church is always busier on Mother's Day than it is Father's Day. It's the day that mom gets up. And says it's Mother's Day. I love Jesus. You should too. We're going to church. Father's Day though, on the other hand, unfortunately, that's not you here this morning, but fathers get up in the morning and say, I love you all. It's Father's Day. I'll be leaving you now. It's time to go golf. Or whatever it is that you do. Uh, and And... To some degree, it's unfortunate. I mean, last week, I don't know if you noticed, we did, uh, I think it was eight baptisms. Seven of them were female, and one of them was a male. And the one male that came forward, came forward in faith. And man, just yet last week was a beautiful proclamation of the gospel. And it's really common in scripture for women to always be the first to the cross. I mean, women, you, you have the heart of Christ in a way that sometimes men don't have. But the Bible is clear that fathers matter. Part of God's identity and description to us is that he is our father. And as a father, he loves us deeply. Let me give you some background to John. John is a brother of James and James and John, before coming to Jesus Christ, were known as sons. They had a title. Because of the family they were part of, uh, because of the dad that they have, they were known as the sons of Zebedee, which later they became to be known as the sons of what? Thunder. That was their identity before Jesus Christ. In fact, at a certain point in Scripture, there's some people who are disagreeing with Jesus and John says, let us strike thunder down in judgment upon these people. That was his heart. He was a son of thunder. Now, John comes to this place. He wrote the gospel of John. Later, he wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. So we're in 1 John. And in 1 John, now at this point, John's a grandfather. He, he's gone from a, a son his father was the father of Zebedee, the son of thunder. He comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and he becomes a son of Christ. 
his father becomes God. And through that relational changing, from changing from the son of thunder into a son of Christ, after writing this go the Gospel of John and then into 1 John, now he's a grandfather. And in fact, if you read John, 1 John, you'll see that oftentimes in this book, he refers to the readers as little children. And he's older now. He's probably 80, 90 years old. He's lived some life. He's actually probably speaking to no longer the first generation of Christians, but the second and the third generation of Christians. And he's speaking to them like a father. And, and instead of, of thunderous clap and wrath and anger, he's speaking to these individuals, to us in this book, with love. The kind of love that God the Father gives us, the kind of love that we want to share. So here's my hope this morning, that I would be able to define for you real biblical love, give you love's origin, love's manifestation, and love's action. That's my outline this morning. Love's definition, love's origin, love's manifestation, and love's action. The biblical definition of love is radically different than the world's definition. Let's go to the scripture in which I mentioned. And if you're able to this morning, would you please stand with me as we desire to honor the reading of God's word. Go to chapter 4, verse 7, and we will read together. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. This is the love of God. This is in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Lord, help us to see your perfect love this morning. That perfect love would be manifest in us, change us, shape us, and mold us, that we then would love as you have loved us as we leave from here. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Please be seated. Love's definition. Let's just talk about the world's definition of love first. The world kind of actually does not understand the definition of love. Uh, when you think of this idea of love, love in the world is, uh, for instance, you'll notice, I, I have a few in my neighborhood, signs that state love is love. Love is love. Well, that sounds nice until the culture begins to erode down the slippery slope towards pedophilia or towards bestiality or any other kind. Well, hey, what's the issue with loving a child, marrying a child? Love is love. Now, I recognize that the goal of the world is to try to bring acceptance to an individual, love to an individual that they would feel love. But they're eroding the reality that love is not love. It's a very poor definition of what love is. One biblical author many years ago actually began to erode his biblical faith and wrote a book uh, by the definition of love wins. Love wins. And in the book, he basically erodes scripture, basically undermines scripture, to the point that he believes that all people, regardless of what they feel of God, are going to go to heaven because love ultimately wins. Or the world's definition is the acceptance of one's lifestyle is the only way in which you love someone. In fact, someone came to me several years ago and said, so you hate homosexuals. And I said, no, I, I don't hate anybody. Yeah, but you don't agree with their lifestyle. No, I don't. 
so you hate them. No, I love them. Right? Our world believes that if you, if you reject somebody's lifestyle, if you reject somebody's way of life or somebody's way of thinking, that must mean that you don't love that person. And that couldn't be further from the truth. There's all kinds of things I don't agree with, even, even if I dare say with my wife. Anybody married this morning? Have you ever disagreed with your wife? Have you ever disagreed with your husband? It's Father's Day, ladies. You have to say yes. It's Father's Day. The reality is, is that does not mean that I don't love my wife, and that does not mean my wife does not love me. We just don't see eye to eye. And God's definition of love is full, and it's biblical. In the Bible, the Bible talks about love on an emotional level, a physical level, and a friendship. All of these things exist within God. He becomes one with us. He becomes our friend. He, he, he desires to be in relationship with us, and his love is perfect. Philippians chapter 2, chapter 2, verses 2 through 5 says, Complete my joy. God's speaking again to his children as a father. He says, Complete my joy, having the same mind, having the same love, being in full accordance of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. That is to say, look out for other people's goals. Have this mind among you, which yourselves is in, so you understand, is in Christ Jesus. Now you might read that and say, now it's telling me to have the same mind, so I've got to think the same, I've got to believe all of the same things. That's not what he's saying. He's, he's saying the one thing, according to the gospel, the one thing we have to have in common is an understanding of the grace of Jesus Christ. When he says be of the same mind, he's saying all of us should have a desirous affection towards Jesus Christ. That the ultimate definition of love, if you, if you look back at the text, he literally says God is love. God is love. You know why this is such a radical statement? Because it's a, he's essentially saying that if you don't know God you don't know what real love is. Hey, ladies. Any single ladies in the uh, tent? <laughs> Come on, single ladies. You can raise your hand. It's okay. Hold them up high because there might be a guy. That kind of rhymed, huh? Hold them up high because there might be a guy. Never compromise on marrying a man who doesn't know Jesus Christ. You want to know why? Because that man does not have the ability to love you like Jesus. And some of you single ladies, man, you're, you, you're desiring and you're wanting and you're longing for the right man to come along. And you know what the Bible teaches? It says, you know what? Your singleness is a gift. And ultimately, before you're married to somebody else, you're married to Jesus Christ. He loves you. He desires you. And he wants you to have a marriage that glorifies the Lord. Guys, you, you want to make a difference in the world? Love Jesus. Men, you want your marriage to be awesome? You want your kids to grow up and, and, and actually have some kind of great life? Love your wife the way that Jesus loves you. It's the best thing that you can give your kids. It's the best thing that you can give your wife. Is it is an infectious, infectious love for Jesus. And the Bible says that God is love, so you're only able to give that love if you've received that love from Jesus. And it's perfect love. I mean, again, let's just, American culture just does not do a good job with this. Uh, the reality is if I, I, you know, I love sushi. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, I, I also love my children. But there better be a difference in how I love each, right? And in the original language in the Bible, in the Greek, especially, there is nuance to the definition of love. It's friendship love. It's agape love, the, the kind of everlasting longing love. It has humility. It's, it's sacrificial. It believes that others are greater than themselves. I mean, can we? I, I'm trying to get my kids to see this. I'm trying to see this, if I'm honest. True happiness comes by making other people more significant than you. Loving people in a way that, that, 
that you show that those people are more important than you are. I was having a conversation. I was at a wedding last night, so weddings are fresh on my mind. Beautiful wedding. The husband loves Jesus. The wife loves Jesus. The parents love Jesus. Jesus just permeated over the entire, the, the entire afternoon. Just a beautiful time to be together, to, to talk about who God is. And, and I said to somebody, in, when I counsel individuals and they're struggling, I'll ask them this question. At what point? Are you going to become somebody that helps somebody else? How long are you going to be the victim? How long are you going to be the one that needs to be propped up? How long are you going to be the one with feeble knees? How long is it going to take before you stand up and say, because of the love of Jesus Christ, because of the identity and the love that God the Father has given me, I don't need to be the best person in the world. I just need to know Jesus, and I need to point other people to Jesus. The reason I've given my life to ministry, to lay my life down for ministry, is because not only do I want you to have that, but it brings me tremendous joy to see other people get it. You were here last week, weren't you? Hopefully. Was not seeing those individuals baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, did that not strengthen you? There's a gal up here. I don't want to embarrass her. I meant to ask her if I could share this, but she, for 42 years, she was an atheist. You know what an atheist is? Love is love. God doesn't exist. In the last year, she came to saving faith. 42 years, God doesn't exist. One day, God's love falls upon her she becomes renewed, re-energized, and she stood up here last week with tears in her eyes, feeling the love of her true father that is God. God's love is full. It's infectious. It changes the way that you see the world. That's the biblical definition of love. That it's full. But what about its origin? Well, you should know the origin. It just said it in the scripture here that it's from the Lord. It comes from God. And the thing is, is God didn't just create love. The reality is that, that love's origin actually exists doctrinally within the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Love is ultimately from God. And we see this love before anything else. We see it within the Trinity. God loves the Son. The Son loves the Spirit. The Spirit points back to Jesus, Jesus points back to the Father, and here's all of this self-sacrificial love within the Trinity. Even when Jesus was baptized, God the Father speaks down, says, this is my Son whom I love, worship Him, follow Him. God's just pointing back to Jesus. Jesus is pointing back to God the Father. God the Father sent me. I'm His only begotten Son. Look at God the Father. He's amazing. He loves you. And then the Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy Spirit says, Look at the Son, be convicted of your sin, know that your righteousness is, is in God, and the Spirit points back to Jesus. They're just constantly pointing back to one another. Because that's, again, in the definition of love, it's self-sacrificial. It's not saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. It's saying, look at him, look at him, look at him. It's always pointing away from the self, away from you is the goal and the objective, and pointing back to the Lord. Where's the origin from? Trinity as a whole. The entire part of God. John MacArthur says it like this. He says, it's very significant that the Trinity has implications not only for what we believe, as believers we think about God, but also how we relate to him and to one another. After all, it is the truth of the Trinity that explains God as a relational being from eternity past, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have enjoyed the fullness of interpersonal relationships. To put it simply, God has never been lonely. But he has always been satisfied in perfect fellowship of inter-Trinitarian bliss. You know why that's important? It's important so you understand that God did not create you because he was bored. He created you because it's part of his nature to be relational. I had a beautiful conversation last week with a young man. 
is actually really fun. His dad comes to our church on a regular basis. His son doesn't really totally know what to believe about God or what to think about God. And his dad has been wanting him to come to church. And he's basically just refused. He's like, I, I don't want to go. He grew up in a Christian home, went to Christian school, went to Christian college, has a hard time with Christianity, has a hard time with church. So his dad keeps telling me, and this is part of, this is just kind of part of what happens when you're a pastor. You have to get him to church. Okay. I'll pull out a gun and I'll say, let's go, bud. So we're having dinner and he's there. And I said, and he's a thinker. I love the way he thinks. He, he's very cerebral. And we're sitting there and I said, hey, listen, would you be willing to do me a favor? Would you come to church this weekend? Would you listen to the message and experience a Sunday morning with us? And then would you let me take you to lunch on Monday? And would you be brutally honest with me and tell me what you think? Because the kid doesn't want to go to church. You know what he said? He said yes. Came to church last week. Took him to lunch. What would you think, man? He said a couple things. I'll tell you the bad news first. I'm not going back. But he said the one thing that stood out to him about you, that he said the world doesn't provide, he said, I didn't realize, I, I, it came back to me as a kid how relational and how strong community is amongst Christians. And he said in a way that he knew that in his life he was missing community. Part of knowing God's love is to be communal. Mavis, can I talk about you? Did you say yeah? Mavis is the oldest member of our church. And she recently just defeated COVID. Last week, she got out of the hospital. And she had to be talked out of coming to church last Sunday. That's incredible. Hey, listen, lady. You can't get others sick, and we want you to still live. Stay away. And she says, but I want to be with my church family, and I want to worship my Savior with my church family. Come on. The world needs to see that kind of love. And God invites us into that Trinitarian communal love that only Christ provides. Love's definition is full and it's biblical and love's origin is from God and God alone. And you can't know love if you don't know Jesus. And God is loving to all people regardless of what they believe. There's two kinds of really radical love in scripture. One is the effectual redeeming grace of God's love. That is to say that God is, is in charge of your salvation and his love is effectual and his love will change you, mold you, and shape you into his image. Right? It, I, I heard one pastor say it like this. He said, there's something about the reality of the world that when you dive into certain things of the world, you become embraced in those things of the world. An example of that is when you are drinking alcohol, it suppresses the way you view in your entire world. Right, I, I've been going all the way back to um, the original uh, TV show, uh, The Ultimate Fighter, where they, the very first episode, 2005, which for you, you probably, like, you're like, first of all, some of you are like, oh, don't talk about UFC and all that stuff, but, and I'm, a, I'm an HD snob. Any other HD snobs here this morning? Do you know what I mean by that? If you don't know what I mean, you're not an HD snob. But ever since High Definition came out, I can't watch standard definition. I'm such a snob. In 2005, the, 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 the TV 
is still square. How many of you remember the TVs used to be square? How many of you owned the, the Sony Trinitron TV? You'd know because it weighed 500 pounds. Like it's 24 inches, 500 pound TV. So I'm watching this. And sure enough, these guys get together and they drink and they party. And all of a sudden their whole world is seen through the lens of drunkenness. They think through that suppression. They filter through that suppression. They're, right? They, everything they see is tainted by the alcohol. And when you come into relationship with Jesus Christ and his effectual redeeming grace comes into your life, you can't help but see everything through the lens of Christ. So we have to come into this embracing relationship with Jesus so we can see the world the way that Christ wants us to see it. That's why I said to the ladies, don't marry a man who doesn't love Jesus. And guys, don't marry a lady who doesn't love Jesus because their world will not, they will not be able to see the world through the lens of God's perfect redeeming love. And God is effectual in loving us and changing us and changing the way that we're thinking. Part of the reason we need to come together on Sundays is because the world is constantly saying, think this way, think this way, think this way. And then you need to come on a Sunday morning and you need to have a, a strong, courageous pastor who will look at you in the eye and say, the world is not your solution. It's the gospel of Jesus. Right, I, I, I've been so blessed this last week. Ministry's rough, I'll tell you, but God is so good and faithful. I got a message from two individuals who grew up in our youth group when I was a, a youth pastor, and they talked about how, how God used the youth group to shape them, mold them. One of them is in Santa Cruz. They said, I'm in, a, I'm in a great church, and I've got a great pastor, and I talk to my lead pastor all of the time, and God's just moving in my life, and thank you for what you've done. Thank you for that investment. And in the same night, another gal in Montana says, says, because of you, I have a relationship with Jesus, and I'm having a hard time finding a church. Could you help me find a church in this area that, that's going to help me be the person that you helped me be? She essentially said, you've been a spiritual father figure in my life. Thank you. And I tell young people, and I'll tell you, because some of you are moving. Anka's, Anka's going to go to a new place, and I don't even need to tell this to Anka because she knows. But I'll tell young people, if you find a church, you find a church that opens up the Bible on a Sunday morning. They talk about Jesus a lot. They say Jesus' name over and over again, and they're not afraid to slap you in the face with the words sin and repentance. And if you can find a church that does that, you have found a good church. And if you... If you're a part of a church that doesn't do that, you should call your pastor to repentance. Or you should leave. God is faithful to be effectual in our grace. But we also see it in common grace, too. The sun shines on the wicked just as much as it does on the righteous. And where do we see this perfect love? Well, John says through the propitiation of Jesus Christ. So its origin is from God, and its manifestation, the manifestation of love is in Jesus. And Jesus becomes, in verse 10, he tells us, the propitiation for our sins. You know what that big word means? It's a million-dollar word. And some of you probably don't know this, but let me make you aware of it. There are Christian circles that are trying to remove the word propitiation from Scripture. And the reason is because the propitiation word literally means that Jesus became the wrath-removing sacrifice. You know why they want to remove it? Because they don't want to deal with God's wrath. But I've shared with you in previous weeks that it's through God's wrath and sin that makes him loving. If someone abuses my daughter, the only response, a loving response, is to be angry. And the reality is, is that outside of Christ, we've abused the gospel, we've abused the son that is Jesus, and we've offended God the Father. But because of his great sacrificial love, Jesus bore that sacrifice on our behalf so we wouldn't have to. Hey, dads, you know what it is to manifest the love of God? It's to take responsibility even for sins and mistakes that are not your own. It's to take responsibility for other people. But we've had a huge outbreak of the virus in the last month in the Truckee area. 
And you know who essentially is getting blamed for it? The church. I don't care. The world's going to find all kinds of ways to hate us. Any excuse to dislike the message that we have. But it's our job as a church, even with a community that disagrees with us and does not love us, for us to take responsibility for them and to love them and to care for them in spite of them hating us. Yeah, how amazing is it that Jesus is dying on the cross and there's two thieves and they begin to kind of mock him, and one of them says, no, surely I deserve, I deserve to be on this cross. One of the thieves says, I deserve it. This man, he's righteous. And Jesus looks at this man, and what does he say to him? Today, today you'll be with me in paradise. Can you imagine the conversation of that man dying, standing at the pearly gates before Peter, or whoever it is that's standing there, because the timeline doesn't work there. Whoever it is that's standing there, I'm speaking metaphorically, and they ask this man who's died on the cross, who was a thief, who died as a thief, and they say, how did you get here? And the man who was on the cross kind of looks at him and says, well, do you know the doctrine of the justica justification of faith? No. Well, do you know what the, the Bible says about this? And do you know what the Bible says about that? Do you know the Bible? No. How are you here? I died next to a man who, who told me that I would be here, and I'm here because he said I would be here. So I'm here because a man said I would be here. So I'm here because a man said I would be here. That's the grace of God. You go to heaven not because of your knowledge, you take responsibility for others, not because, because you're trying to earn your way to heaven. You get to heaven because Jesus says, you will be with me in paradise. You get to heaven because Jesus took responsibility for your sin. He took responsibility for your actions. He took responsibility for your wrath, your anger, your shame, your guilt. And as a church, we take responsibility. We have we have to lift up the name of Jesus above all things. We have to gather, even though there's fear and, and worry, we have to proclaim the goodness of Jesus in spite of all things. We must do the things that God has called us to do. To keep giving people not physical hope alone, but the spiritual hope that comes only through Jesus. Now lastly, love's action. How do we love well, we have to be born again. You have to admit your need. I was talking with uh, Marlise and Don last night at the wedding. You know, when COVID hit, we had a, everything shut down. And um, Marlise has been working with these special ed kids for a few years now. I first initially met some of these kids in the gym big old Hispanic guy, you come up to me and he, he says, you're macho man. And he'd shake my hand and electrocute me. <laughs> What's his name? Isaac. And Isaac then tell, proceeds to tell me that I'm not as buff as macho man. And then I, he'd see me do weights and he'd say, how much? 200 pounds. You go, macho man, 400 pounds. And because everything shut down, those kids had nowhere to go. So Marlies contacts us and says, can you open up the church so these kids can still continue to love one another and be around another because they need that kind of community? We said, absolutely, yes. So twice a week, we've got these special ed kids who hang out at our, our church. And one of the things we talked about last night is those special ed kids, they know Jesus. <laughs> They're angels. They're absolute angels. And in communication with them, they love you. They care for you. They've got, they have no idea if, if there's a virus. They have no idea what's going on. And one of them comes up, and I go, he, he doesn't really even speak all that well. He's really short, big kid. 
And I'm like, what's up, buddy? And he goes, ah, 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 ah. And he just grabs me, and he hugs me, and he squeezes me. And then he lets go, and I'm like, yeah, buddy. And he goes, yeah, ah, ah, ah. And he squeezes me again. You, that, that, my friends, is exactly how we become children of God. Jesus says you come as little children. John is a grandfather speaking to his little children. And I'll just go even further. You come to Jesus. You come to Jesus just as a young, handicapped individual would come. You follow the example that God has set before us and these special children that he's gifted us to take care of. Jesus manifests this love on the cross. He manifests this love as he reaches out to the brokenhearted. It's never the rich and the wealthy and the strong that Jesus comes to first. He comes to the prostitute. He comes to the lame and the blind and the brokenhearted. And he says, follow me. I feel in my heart so handicapped. And I know that that is the reason and why God the Father has become my spiritual dad. It is not because I am strong. It is not because I am macho man. It is because he is strong and I am weak. May we fully know God's love. May we come to him as little children. May we allow him to be the father that he wants to be and that he is and especially to the men who can hear what I am saying may we share that kind of love with our spouse and our children and our church and our community amen would you stand with me as we close in prayer and song I'm getting emotional in my older age here Thank you, Lord, that the definition of your love is full and it is biblical. Thank you that love is not something that was created or that its origin is in the Trinity, that it is in within you. And, Lord, that you manifest that love in Jesus himself. And then you desire us to love in action as you love. And we know that we can only do that through the Spirit. We know we can only do that if we're born again. So I pray, Lord, that we would all come to you as little children who know in humility that we need renewal and we need you to accomplish these things. I pray in spite of persecution, in spite of negativity, in spite of division, that our children here at Sierra Bible Church, that is all names, all people here, would be unified by the gospel of love unified by you, and we trust you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Let's sing. Hey, friends, we're going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, we're going to sing, oh, praise the name.
All together, church. Oh, praise. God is good, though, huh? Let's sing of his grace. Your grace, your grace. 
is your love and justice. Great is your love and justice, God. You use the weak to lead the strong. Lead us. You lead us in the song of thank you for your free grace, your gift that you've given to us, Lord, that we are forgiven, that we are your dear children, that you are our Heavenly Father, and Lord, as we leave today, uh, Lord, may we remember that you are good, that we give you all honor, praise, and glory, for you are deserving. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, folks. Thanks for coming. Thanks for tuning in.